Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Who's glad to be in church on a Sunday morning? Anybody? Anybody? Awesome. Now listen, the tone has been set, the 9 o'clock crowd this morning. They were pretty rowdy, so I need some energy. You guys had the extra sleep this morning, all right? So I need you, I need you with me this morning. Hey, if we, uh, if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, uh, my name is Caleb Veazey, and uh, my wife, Becca, and our three kids, our family, we moved here just a, a few months ago, actually, um, to come be the college and young adult pastor here at Real Life Church, and uh, super excited about all that God's doing, and we've had a blast the last couple of months hanging out with these young crazy people over here and uh, yeah there we go had a good time hanging out with them and getting to know them and um, really enjoying all that God is uh, is doing in the life of real life church and uh, really just glad to be a part and so if we haven't gotten to meet uh, I do I, I brought a picture of my family that I want to share with you because I'm totally that dad who loves to share pictures of my kids to people so I think we have a picture we can put up here yes here we go so this is uh, my wife Becca and then we have three little ones. That's my son, Silas, over there. He's our oldest. He's four. And then I got two little ones. Come on, somebody pray for your brother this morning. I got two little girls, all right? So some of you dads in the room, you're praying hard right now. I got two little girls. Uh, this is Isabella, our middle one. We call her Issa. She's two. And then the, this little wild one in the middle is uh, Gabriella. She's our baby girl. She's one. We call her Lala. We like, we like nicknames in our family, okay? So that's our... That's our family, and um, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, moving here to Las Cruces was really a, a, a sort of homecoming for us. Um, my wife is actually from here. She was raised here in Las Cruces. Her family is here in Las Cruces, and I am not. I'm from Alabama, so you're going to have to bear with me this morning, okay? So, uh, but my wife is from here, and uh, we spent the last seven-plus uh, years uh, on staff at a church in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, we were able to come here uh, as a homecoming and, uh, and be with our family and just be a part of all that God's doing here at Real Life Church and uh, are so excited about being a part of it. So like Pastor Joel said, we're continuing this today, this morning in week three of our message series through the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter two, the first part of that, Ephesians two, one through 10. If you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there this morning. We're going to get there in just a moment. But Last week, we finished out uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, and Pastor Joel gave an incredible message. If you didn't get a chance to see it, um, I would encourage you to go back this week in our archives and, and check it out. But we finished out chapter 1, looking at that last half, which is really a prayer from the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus, the church of, uh, of the Ephesians. And, so, and, and Paul expresses his desire in this prayer for those Ephesian believers. And, and, and what we talked about was that, that the whole prayer is based on this idea that he wants them to understand that God has more in store for them. That, that our salvation, that knowing Jesus is, is, is not just a get out of hell free card. All right, It's so much more than that. That there's power available. There's all these things. And Paul actually prayed these words. He said that I, want, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That they would be open so that you can really understand who God is and all that he has for you. And that's how he closes out chapter 1. And then right after that, right after the end of chapter 1, guess what we find? It's not a trick question. Chapter 2 is right, right after the end of chapter 1, okay? And, and so it, but, but I think we, we forget that uh, the, the Bible, when it was written, it was not written with those chapter and verse numbers in there, right? Like those were added for us later, if you didn't know, to help us be able to organize and find things in the Bible. So when Paul was writing, he didn't go like chapter 1, 
stop, take a break. Okay, let me go. Chapter two, heading. You know, like he, he was just writing one fluid thought. And so he flows right from this idea that we finished with last week that, that I, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open, that you would understand all that God has for your life. And the very next thing that he pens, that he writes, is what we're going to read today. In other words, he's saying, I want you to fully understand all that God has for you in this life. And in order to do that, you got to start right here. This is where you got to start. This is, the, these are the, this is some foundational elements of what you need to understand about what God has done in your life so that you can experience all the fullness that he has for you. So let's read what he wrote today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is our passage. He says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Like, really, Paul? Just tell me like it is. Right off the bat, you were dead. Disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers and the unseen world. He is the spirit that's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live this way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were actually subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, he didn't leave us there. He's so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead and along, along with Christ, and then he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. I want you to file that away. We're going to get back to that in just a few moments. Because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ, with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Man, we could just pray and like go home right now, right? Like that, that's, some good, that's some good stuff. No, actually, I did prepare some other things for you this morning that we're going to go through. But, wow, what a... What a powerful passage of Scripture. I mean, you can't get much clearer than that. It's the straight-up gospel of Jesus. It is the good news of what God has done for us. And Paul just lays it out there, and he says, this is where you got to start. If you're going to experience all that God has for you, this is where you got to start. And what I love about this passage, and as you read through it this week, and I hope that you do that, I want you to, un- I want you to notice some things with me that we're going to notice together this morning that in these in these 10 short verses that they're designed uh, in, in a certain way that Paul wrote them the way he did so that we can focus on a few things in there and, and what, what I think is so cool about this is that these 10 verses this little passage Paul's taking us on a journey through that and that journey really it, it really does have three kind of distinct segments and sections and parts to it the first part is those verses one through three that we read where Paul just lays it out there hey I was dead and my sin, and my disobedience, and I needed help. I needed saving. And what Paul's doing right there is he's, he's creating this level playing field that, that for all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what our background was, no matter if we grew up in church or not, no matter what our past looks like, whether we're Jew, Gentile, whatever it is, Paul's creating this level playing field that this is where all of us start. All of us live this way. 
that we were dead in our sin and our disobedience. That we, in other words, we were physically alive, but we were spiritually dead. We were separated from God. We, there was no hope in our life. There was no purpose. There was, there was nothing for us. And that's the first segment. But then the second one, verses 4 through 9, that second little segment there, he tell, tells us what God did about it. And, and he, he writes those two words that, that are such, such life-giving words, but God, but God, he didn't leave us there. No, 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 he did something about it. He stepped in, he poured out his grace, and he saved me. And then he finish out, finishes off that segment with verse 10. And, and verse 10 is really going to catapult us in to the rest of the book of Ephesians in the coming weeks. But he says, and now, now you are made new. And, and you're a masterpiece. You're, you're a new creation. And not only that, but you're now living out God's purpose for your life. And I want you to notice with me as we read through that passage, the extreme contrast between verse 1 and verse 10. We're talking one paragraph here. And look where we go from. Verse 1, we're dead in our sin and our disobedience. There's nothing for us. And by the time we get to verse 10, man, we are alive. We are a new creation. We're living out God's purpose for our life. We're fulfilled. All those things. Like, what an extreme contrast. Two, two different places to be in. How did we get there? How did we get from verse 1 to verse 10? Well, of course, the answer is found right in the middle. <laughs> what happened in between verse 1 and verse 10? Something very simple. God's grace. God's grace is the central theme of this passage. It's the only thing that can take us from that, the, that, that state of, of death and sin and bring us into God's purpose and new life. Grace is the foundation of the life of a follower of Jesus that allows us to live out a transformed life. God's grace, if you've been around church, you've heard that word before. It's a very churchy word. We sing songs about it. You know, we sang songs about it this morning, right? But, but, if, you, but if you're not familiar with it, maybe you're new to church, or the idea of God, I want to help you with, with just really breaking it down into its simplest form. That God's grace, I've heard it said, is, giving, is when he gives us what we don't deserve. God's grace, it's his unmerited favor. In other words, I don't do anything to earn it. It's not based on how good I am or anything that I do, that it's a gift. That's why Paul says it's a gift of God. It's, it's him giving, what, giving me what I don't deserve. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and uh, I showed you my son, Silas. He's four, and, and uh, parents, uh, come on, you, you guys know, uh, my wife and I, we, we do our best to help our kids, try, try and like help them eat healthy, some, some semblance of a balanced diet, right? And, and what I mean by that is we just try to get them to eat something other than mac and cheese for every single meal, right? Come on, parents, you know the struggle of having toddlers. It's like, please, just eat something else. Like mix in a, a chicken nugget every once in a while, man. Like, come on. And, and so we, we try our best, but, but you know, we, we, we have special treats and, and candy and stuff. And every once in a while, come on, moms and dads, you know, isn't it fun to just give your kid a little something special? Isn't it fun to just to just do that, and I thought about this, and, and usually, you know, we have those special treats, and, and, and Silas will get one of those as a reward for, for doing something, you know, for something he's supposed to be doing, or whatever, doing well in something, and he gets, he gets a little reward, but, but sometimes, man, I just want to give it to him for, for, for nothing, right, and, and so we have that cabinet, right, we have that, that cabinet in the kitchen, it's a snack cabinet, come on somebody, everybody praise God for the snack cabinet, right, and and uh, man, that's my, after the kids go to bed, you just sneak down there, raid the snack cabinet a little bit, right? And, but, but, and he knows, and so, and so one day I, I went over to the snack cabinet, opened it up, and uh, pulled out a little, little something special, a little, little tree, I don't even remember what it was, a piece of chocolate or something that we had in there, and, and I called him over and I said, hey, hey, Cy, come here, I got something for you, and came over there, yes, Dad, and I, 
I said, hey, I got something for you. Here, here you go. And I, I slipped him, I slipped it to him, and his eyes got wide, and <gasps> he gasped, and he's like, a special treat? I said, yeah. And he's like, why do I get a special treat? <laughs> and I just looked at him in the moment. I said, you know what? You're getting a special treat just because you're my son. And that's God's grace. That we don't do anything to earn it. He just gives it to us because we're his kids, because he loves us. It's a gift that he gives to us. So how, how do I go from death to life? How do I get from verse 1 to verse 10? Only by God pouring out his grace and giving me what I don't deserve. And Paul reminds us throughout these 10 verses, this passage today, what the unmerited favor of God looks like and what it does for us in our life when he saves us. And there's three things that I want to give you today uh, that Paul says that the grace of God does in our life. And I want you to write this down. If you're a note taker, write this down. If you're not a note taker, go ahead and write this down this morning, okay? The first thing, number one, that God's grace does is God's grace makes me actually a new person. Makes me a new person. And now this is an idea that sounds simple, but I think it's something that, uh, if you're like me, we struggle to fully understand and comprehend as followers of Jesus, that God's grace actually makes me a new person. We just read about how we were dead in our sin and how there was no hope and, and, and that we were separated. We needed saving and, and God stepped in and he did just that and he pours out his grace on our life and we put our faith in Jesus and, and he saves us. But I think when we, a lot of times we, we, we mistakenly think about what that looks like and we have this picture in our head and I'm guilty of this too. That when God does that, when he pours out his grace and, and he saves me, that he somehow comes down and he, he, he gets the broken pieces of my life and he, he scoops them up off the floor and he begins to put them back together and he has to get some duct tape and some, and some glue and he, he's got to figure out, and, and figure out how to piece them back together. It's like, it's like he sees this canvas of our life and there's just scribbles and, and stuff all over it and he's got to figure out how to turn this into something. Can I tell you this morning, that's not how our God works. And that's not how his grace works. You see, when God steps in, when he pours out his grace and he saves us, he doesn't pick up our broken pieces and have to figure out how to put them back together. No, no, no. He takes our broken pieces and he pushes them to the side and he makes us something new. He takes our canvas and he wipes it clean and he makes us into something new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become, there it is again, a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Jesus actually worded it this way in, in John chapter 3. Remember, he's having his famous conversation with Nicodemus, and that's where John 3.16 happens, right? But, but Nicodemus is saying, how do, I, how, how do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, the only way you do it is to be born again. Like, you, you, you can't, you can't, it's not about, it's not about earning your way, and it's not about changing something about your life to get in. No, 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 you've got to be born again. You've got to become a new person. Jesus didn't come to die and make you a better version of yourself. He came and he gave his life to make you new. Let me say it this way. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Amen. Hey, come on, I'm, I'm from the South. I'm used to people amening, all right, come on. He came to make dead people alive, and this is where it all starts. 
And we've got to understand this before we can go any further. That I'm no longer who I once was. That this is the beauty of, of the grace of God. I may not be who I want to be yet, but thank God by His grace, I'm not who I used to be. That my past is not what defines me. That I don't have to keep carrying those things. And I don't have to pick up those broken pieces and carry them with me. No, no, no. I can be a new person, a new creation. I'm not just Caleb version 2.0, the new and improved, right, with, with, with new updates, right? Like, no, no, no. I'm a whole new operating system. And this is what God's grace does for us. God's grace, it makes me a new person. And that's where we start. The second thing that God's grace does for us, write this down, is it doesn't just make me a new person, but God's grace then gives me a new position. It gives me a new pl- position. It puts me in a new place that, that I, was, I was dead in my sin and in my disobedience to God. And Paul actually says in that first few verses that we read that, that I was uh, f- obeying the devil. I was under the influence of the devil. I was following the ways of the world. In other words, those things had power over my life. And, 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 and for whatever reason, they were able to, 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 to get a stronghold in my life in certain areas. And, and, and I was under their authority in certain ways. And, and that's where I was. That's the position that I was in. But look what happens when God's grace shows up. Verse 4 of our passage. When God's grace shows up, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He didn't wait for us to get it together. He met us there. He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And then he raised us up. Everybody say raised up. He raised us up with him. And then he seated us with him. Everybody say seated. With him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Paul says that God raised us up. He made us new. He, then he raised us up. Then he seated us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Like how can I be seated in heavenly places with Jesus when I'm standing here in Las Cruces, New Mexico? That, I, that doesn't make sense. What does he mean by that? What I think is so cool, and as you're, I hope that you're reading through the book of Ephesians with us as we go through this message journey. But, but, but what I think is so cool is if you, if you jump back just a few verses to the end of chapter 1, Paul actually uses the exact same language to talk about what God did for Jesus. He, talk, he, said, he says that God raised Jesus up from the dead, and then that he seated him in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And, and to be seated at the right hand of somebody means that, it, that, that that seat at the right hand is a place of authority and it's a place of power. You've heard the, the phrase that they're my right-hand man or they're my right-hand woman, right? And, and what we mean by that is, hey, I trust them. I've empowered them. You know, they have the ability to do things that I can do. They, like, like they have a position of authority city, sitting at the right hand. And, and, and Paul uses that language to tell us about what God did with Jesus right there at the end of chapter 1. It says he raised him up from the dead, and then he seated him in a position of authority at the right hand of the Father uh, in, in heavenly places. And then just, again, just a few verses later in our scripture, in our passage today, Paul says something remarkable. He says, you remember what, what God did for Jesus? Yeah, he, actually, the truth is, he did the same thing for you and for me. Because when we give our life to Jesus, the Bible says we're united with him. That our life is now associated with his life. And the things that are true about him are now true about us. That, that he raised us up, just like he, same language, he raised us up with Jesus. And then he seated us 
in heavenly places because we're united with Jesus. I think of it this way, that I, I think a lot of us, most of us don't have an issue thinking about the idea that Jesus came and he took my place on the cross, right? And that's, that's the absolute truth. Jesus came and he gave his life in exchange for mine. He took my place. He bore my sin. He was where I should have been, but he took my place. But I think what's hard to, to realize sometimes, and this is what Paul's trying to help us understand, is that it, that exchange that Jesus made is a two-way exchange. That it wasn't just Jesus taking my place, but now I get to join him in his place. And that's a powerful thing, guys. That's a powerful thing right there. I get to join him where he is. And where's he at? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's in a position of power, in a position of authority. And yes, there was a day where I was under the influence of the devil, where I was following the ways of the world, where there were issues and sins and struggles that had strongholds in my life. But that is no longer where I'm at because I am a new creation in Christ. And, and, and I am raised up and I'm united with Jesus. And I am seated at the right hand of the Father with him. And because of my association with Jesus, I now have authority over those things. And the devil has no more power over my life. And I can live a new life because of my relationship with Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's an amen moment right there. But here's the catch. <laughs> you knew there was a catch coming, right? Here's the catch to that. You see, we have to make the choice to step into that position. And, and I think what happens so often is we live and we exist in this dichotomy of realities, right? There's two different realities going on. The truth is what we just read. Now, the truth is that I am a new creation in Jesus, that God's grace has saved me, that he has raised me up and seated me and united me with Christ, and I am, I'm in a position of authority. But, but that doesn't always line up with the reality that I experience here each and every day in my everyday life, right? And, and, and in this reality where, where I'm standing now, man, it, it's difficult sometimes. And guess what? The, the, the devil, he, even though he doesn't have the authority over my life anymore, man, he's still trying to get it. And he's still trying to pull me back into the things that I used to do. And he's trying to create distance between me and God and render me useless for the things and the purposes of God. And, and, that, that's what, and, and this physical reality, come on, I, I think you can agree with me, it feels much more real most of the time. And, and so the, the question is, how do, we, how do we step into that position? Because we have to choose to do it. How, how, do, we, how do we do it? And I think Paul gives us some insight into it, and he gives us a clue into that in a passage of Scripture in Colossians. We're going to jump over there. And what's really cool, in Colossians chapter 3, again, Paul uses the same language here to talk about this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, if that's the truth, if that's your reality, if that's where you are at, if that's where your new position is, then here's what you got to do. you got to seek the things that are up there, you, where Christ is. Where's that? Seated at the right hand of God. If that's where you are, you got to seek those things. you got to set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are down here that we experience each and every day. For you have died, and your life is actually different now. You're new. You're, li you're no longer that old creation. You your life is hidden with Christ in God. And he tells us, if you're going to step into this position, you got to change your perspective on things. Because it's so easy, because this reality that we're experiencing each and every day is the one that, that is right in front of us. And it's so easy to put all of our focus on the things and issues that are right in front of us. But Paul says, you, you can't do that. Are you going to slip out of that new position that you have? You've got to set your mind on things above. 
You've got to change your perspective to match that of where Jesus is, your new position up there. I, I think of it like this. Do I have any, how many puzzle people do I have in the room? You, you like to do puzzles. Anybody like to do puzzles? All right. All right. So, so when you do a puzzle, what do you open the box, you dump all the pieces out onto the table, right? And then if you are a sane person, you, you do what? You get all the border pieces, right? For those of you, you guys who just dive right in and just start willy-nilly putting stuff, I, I, don't, I don't know how to help you today, okay? God's grace is not enough. You know, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but you put all the pieces together. But sometimes, when, especially when you're doing those big puzzles, man, it's easy to get lost, right? And, and to get just like overwhelmed by the number of pieces and trying to figure out what goes together. So what do you do? You take the picture on the box and you set it up in front of you and you look at it because that picture gives you an, a different perspective. That picture shows you the final piece. That picture shows you where you're trying to get to. And while you're working through the difficulties of this puzzle, the whole time you can reference this other perspective of what it's supposed to look like. And that's what Paul's telling us to do. We've got to fix our minds not on the things right in front of us. I'm not saying to just forget about all the issues of, of today and your responsibilities that you have. No, no, no. I'm saying you've got to change your perspective and see them from a heavenly position, a heavenly perspective and he, he tells us a little bit of what that looks like he says so you got to make some choices you got to actually do some things you got to put to death what is earthly in you those, those things that were part of your old self and he lists some of them sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire covetousness which is idolatry because the and these you two once walked when you were living in them that's who you used to be but now you must put them all away You've you got to get rid of them. Anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the obscene talk from your mouth. You've got to get rid of all those things. You've got you to choose to do that. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul says we've got to make some choices. We gotta, I, I love the phrasing that he uses. We've got to put off and then the old part and then put on the new self. Here, here's the image that comes to my mind with this. It's me standing in my closet every morning deciding what I'm going to wear for the day, right? I, like, I got to pick out my clothes, and, and, and when I do that, it, it starts uh, by, by taking off the old part, right? Like, I can't wear the old clothes that I was wearing yesterday because maybe they're dirty, or, or maybe they're, maybe, look, I can't go to work in my pajamas, right? Like, right? like I got to take some things off don't worry, I have a shirt on under this. Okay, some of you guys, some of you guys were getting a little nervous there, right? Like, come on, this isn't Abercrombie and Fish. This is church this morning, okay? I have a shirt on underneath. But, but as I stand there in that, that, that process of getting dressed, I, I have to choose to take some things off. And now look, this process looks different for all of us. For me, come on guys, you, you know, this is maybe a three to four minute like process, okay? Like every morning. For my wife, it's a little bit different. Okay, like maybe more closer to like three to four days sometimes, okay? Um, and, you know, I go home and it looks like my closet, like a bomb went off in our closet and there's just clothes everywhere. Like what happened? Like what's going on? I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to wear tomorrow. You know, like it's, and that's okay. That's all right. Okay, the process looks different for all of us. But the idea is we all go through this process. And it starts with deciding that we're going we're gonna to take some things off. That, that, that I can't, I can no longer keep this shirt on because it's the old one that, 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 that is dirty now, that I have to remove and get rid of because I, I need something else in my life. But I can't stay there. I have to then pick something out. Like I got to reach over and grab something else that I can wear that day. And, he, and here's the thing. 
I choose the shirt that I'm going to wear based on what I need to do to live my life that day. Right? Like if I'm going to go to work and get dirty, th- th- then I choose a certain shirt. If, I, if I'm going you know, to go on a date with my wife, I choose a different shirt. But, but, but the idea is that I choose what I'm going to wear based on the life that I'm going to live that day. And so I pick out the new. I, I pull out the new shirt. And, I, and, I, and then, again, I can't walk out the door and just leave it on my arm or leave it on the hanger, right? I have to actually put it on and button it up. And then I have to walk out the door and, and actually live my life that day. And I think what Paul's telling us is, is, is this is what we have to do. This is the decision we have to make each and every day is, is to take off the old, to, to get rid of those things. We got to remember what our position is, our new position in Christ. And, and, and we've got to make the choice and the decision to take those things off, just like we do the yesterday's shirt. And then we got to pick out the new things, the, the new life in Christ. And, and we have to choose to put that on and, and to walk out the door and, and to live it out. And, and if you're like me, this is a daily decision. Like I can't just you know, I can't just put on one shirt and wear it for the rest of the week, right? Like, this is something that I do each and every day, and it's the same way in my walk with Jesus, that, that if I'm going to stay in this position of authority and power that he, that he has placed me in, man, I have to do that every day. Like, I've got, it's got a shelf life of about 24 hours, and every day I have to choose to put aside those old things, to say no to the things that I used to do and be a part of, and instead to step into all that God has for me. We have to, God's grace, it makes us a new person. But then it also gives us that new position. And then lastly, and this is where we're going to close today. Number three, God's grace does a little bit more than that. It gives me a new purpose. It gives me a new purpose. You see, remember, Paul's taking us on a journey in this passage, 10 verses. He's taking us on this journey. And we start by going down into the depths of our death and our sin, our disobedience, but, but then God doesn't leave us there. He brings us up, and he raises us up into a new place, a new creation, a new position, and then he sends us out with a new identity and new purpose in our life. Look at the last verse of that, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. Paul's right there. That, that, that word masterpiece, the, the Greek word that's translated there is poema. It's where we get the word poem. And like, in other words, we are a work of art, handcrafted, purposely put together by the Creator Himself. That we are His. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and known by our Savior. That we are God's masterpiece. We're His work of art, and He has done this. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus for a reason, so we can do good things He planned for us long. Ago, You know, a couple things I know about masterpieces, they're not created by accident, and they're not created by amateurs. And neither were you. You are God's masterpiece, handcrafted by Him into a new creation. And He did that for a reason. And let me just take just a moment and look at everybody in this room and everybody joining us online and tell you that you were created on purpose and you were created on for purpose. You were created on purpose, for purpose. Your life is not an accident and God has a plan for you. That God, he, he, didn't, he didn't pick up the broken pieces of your life, put them together and then wonder like, well now what? Like now what am I going to do with this guy? Right? Like no, no, no. He had a plan before you were ever even born. 
And he said, you know what? I've got some good things, some good works that I want to do in this world. And I'm going to create this person to help me do that. And I'm going to partner with them. And, and I'm going I'm to give them, I'm going to make them new. And I'm going to give them authority so they don't have to struggle with the things in their past. And then I'm going to fill their life with purpose so that they can experience all that I have. And that, that they can go. And, th- and that purpose is, number one, to know him. To be in relationship with him. I'm going to draw them close to me and, and, and help them to know and understand me. But then I'm going to send them out to make a difference in the life of somebody else. Your purpose is people. Your purpose is to know God and then to help others do the same. 